Derek Walker. I'm the pastor of the Oxford Bible Church, and today I want to share with you something that is often missing in the teaching about faith. You know, we all want that kind of strong faith that receives the promises of God, and yet it seems sometimes somebody can know the Bible and know all the promises, but yet they find it difficult to receive from God. And why is that? Well, we know that faith is based on knowledge, knowledge of God and his word, we know, for instance, Romans 10:17 says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Yes, we have to hear the word of God. We've got to know what God promises in order to believe him, of course. And if we don't have that knowledge of God, his word, then how can we have faith? Isaiah 5:13 says that God says, my people have gone into captivity because they have no knowledge. And Hosea 4.6 says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. So what kind of knowledge do we need to have? We can't believe God beyond our knowledge of his word. We can't believe him for something like healing if we don't know what his word says about healing. So we must gain knowledge of his promises from his word. We must know what he has said, or else how can we believe him for specific things? And now... There's much good teaching on the promises of God. We need to know the promises well. But there is another area of knowledge that is very necessary for your faith to operate. And perhaps really, this is the most important area for your faith to work under pressure. And yet, it isn't taught very much because we tend to take it for granted. But we need knowledge in this area just as much as knowledge of what God's promise is. We need to have knowledge of God's person. You see, to believe someone's promise, it's not enough to know what they said, but you also need to know who said it. For instance, just say a stranger came up to you and promised you £10,000. Would you believe them? Now, you might wish it were so, but you couldn't have a confident faith in them because you don't know who that person is. Uh, you couldn't base your life on it you would actually have to wait and see if what they said. Yeah, I'm sure, like me, you get many of these scam emails where they, they promise you millions of pounds they want to put into your account. And, uh, and yet, I find I cannot believe their promise. Why? Because I don't know who is making that promise. I've got no evidence of their credibility. And so, we would just have to wait and see. Now, this person who's come to promise you £10,000, you could memorize his words off by heart. You could say them to yourselves hundreds of times. You could uh, repeat them to yourself and memorize every little word that they said, every expression on their faith, but that would not do the trick. You still wouldn't have faith. Something fundamental is missing, and that is you know nothing about the person. You know the promise but you don't know the person. And you see, faith is in, a per in a person doesn't just depend on knowing what they said, but who said it. What is the credibility and the reliability of the one who said it? Yes, a man is only as good as his word, and his word is only as good as the man who says it. And so we have to know what is the b believability of the person who has spoken this word. You to believe someone's promise means you've got to trust that person. So yes, you need to know what they said, but you must know the reliability of the one who said it. 
And if someone doesn't have proven character, you've got no basis for trusting them. And until we, until you, are fully persuaded of God's character, you will not be able to believe him as you ought to. And your faith will fail to stand when it comes under pressure. And the problem for many Christians is that though they know many of God's promises, they could pass a Bible school test, and yes, they give mental assent to God's character, his goodness, his faithfulness, but they're not really persuaded in their hearts concerning his reliability. And so they treat him like a stranger. They wait to see if his promises are going to come to pass for them before they're going to believe it and before they're going to give thanks for it. And certainly they're not going to base their life on, on it. And so they think they're aware that their faith is weak because what does it mean to have weak faith? It means when something's weak, when you put pressure on it, it begins to crumble. And they're aware of that. As soon as they have the pressure of difficult situations, their faith crumbles. And they think, well, I've just got to know the promises better. I've got to say them to myself more times over. But actually what they need is to know God better. Yes, we need to meditate on God's promises, but even more than that, we need to meditate on the faithfulness of God, the reliability, his character, because that is what's going to hold us strong in contradictory circumstances. Yes, faith is basically trusting in a person and, a pr and his promises. It's not about laws and principles. It's a personal relationship with the one you're trusting. It's trusting a person through their word. Trusting in their reliability. Yes, you must know what they said, but you must know who they are. Now, your faith is limited, actually, not just to how well you know God's promises, but your faith is limited to how much you know the faithfulness of God. You know when you go to the bank, you trust the, your bank with much of your wealth. If you didn't trust your bank, you certainly wouldn't entrust your money to it. You depend on it keeping its promises. You act as if that bank is true to its word. And so you walk with confidence into that bank to take your money out, assuming you've got some money in there. And, uh, but we seem to have more confidence in getting money from our bank than in coming to God with boldness to receive his promises. Where do we get that kind of confidence from? Is it because you've read all their brochures and all the fine print of all their contracts? Well, if you're anything like me, uh, you, that probably isn't it. No. You are persuaded, let's say, that they've been doing business for 200 years, and they're basically still in business, and they're basically performing the duties of a bank. Then, on their proven character and record, you know that they're reliable, and on that basis, you put your trust in them. Now, the better you know all their documentation, the better. You'll get more advantages from them. But before you can trust in them, you've got to, um, you've got to trust in their reliability. Well, if we can trust in a bank, how much more should we be able to trust God for our life, that he is faithful? We've got to believe. And there's really two areas of faith, of knowledge that you need to trust God fully. And that is his power and his faithfulness. You've got to know that God can do it and that he will do it. When somebody gives you a promise, you automatically assess whether they can do 
what they promise to do. Your mind makes an assessment of them. First, how hard it will be, and then you assess whether they have the ability to do it and whether they have the, the, the character, the reliability to do it. And that's what happens when God gives you a promise. You assess how difficult that thing is. And then, in your mind, you also judge whether God is powerful enough to do it and whether he's faithful to do it. And you've got to know God's faithfulness. Yes, the first time God tells you something that seems beyond your ability, it seems impossible, your mind will tell you, it can't be done, it's too hard. And you know, don't feel guilty when that happens, because that's natural, that's what, how your mind is designed to work. But then God wants you to say, okay, now evaluate me, evaluate my faithfulness, evaluate my power, put that into the computer and realize that though it's impossible for you, God can do it. And by knowing God's power and God's faithfulness, you will come to the conclusion that God is able to do it, that God will do it, and you step through that doubt into faith. You see, if, if a well-meaning person you know, says to you, but who doesn't seem to have any money, though, they say, I will give you 10,000 pounds. You know, your mind will do that calculation. Your mind will say, no way. They don't have the power to do that. And you won't be able to believe that person because you don't have any knowledge about that person that they have the power to do it. Now, if you find out some more knowledge and you find they've just come into an inheritance of half a million, then you have the knowledge that they have the power to do it. And then if you find out that they are a man of their word, now suddenly you've got the knowledge that you need of their power and their faithfulness and that you cross through that threshold and you're able to believe that indeed they will fulfill their promise. Yes, we are doing this kind of assessment all the time. Well, I want you to see that whenever God gives you a promise, your mind will initially say, no, it can't be done. But then if you meditate on God's power and his faithfulness, you will then come to the conclusion, yes, and you will believe it. Now, we're going to see this with Abraham and Sarah, because we're going to see that those are the two key things for them. God's power and his faithfulness. You know what happened. Abraham's about 100, Sarah's about 90, and, God, and Sarah's barren all her life, and God comes up and says, you're going to have a child. You're going to have a son. And first of all, we read about that this was so impossible. This had never been heard of, that they both laughed. Genesis 17, 17 tells us that Abraham laughed. In fact, Isaac was, means laughter. Abraham, it says, fell on his face and laughed. It was so funny to him that he fell on his face and laughed. And he says, shall a child be born to a man who's 100 years old? And my Sarah is 90? Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. This was a laugh of unbelief. And in the next chapter, Genesis 18, it says, Sarah, uh, when she heard about it, she laughed too. And she said, after I've grown old, shall I have pleasure? <laughs> They laughed, and this was initial doubt in their mind. They looked at the impossibility of it, and they laughed. But they didn't stay there, because we read about Abraham in Romans chapter 4, verse 19. Let's read that, shall we? 
Turn to Romans chapter 4, verse 19. It says, Abraham, being not weak in faith, oh, something has changed now. He's moved from this place where he laughed at God's promise to a place where he believed it. Being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body, now dead, when he was about 100 years old, neither the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. I want you to understand that Abraham's issue was not he didn't know the promise. He knew the promise only too well. But it was so impossible to him. His mind hit a barrier. It's too hard. It's impossible. And he laughed. But he had to confront the issue. Was God able to do it? Now, we can always give mental assent, say, oh yes, God is able. But do you really, are you fully persuaded in your heart that God can fulfill that promise to you that he made? You see, you need to make a value judgment of God and his character. Is he able to do it? And that's what Abraham did. It says, he considered not his own body. What does that mean? Well, I, I can tell you that as soon as he got the promise, he definitely did consider his body. He realized he was a hundred. He realized Sarah's condition. And his mind told him it was impossible. But he didn't stop there. He continued. And he considered not just the natural circumstances, his own weakness, but he considered the strength of God. He considered the power of God. He looked at the stars, the God who created this universe, the God who did so many miracles for him in his life, the God who set him free and gave him great victories over whole armies, the God who prospered him and kept all his promises. He realized the faithfulness of God you see, and the power of God. And after meditating over a period of time, he came to a point where he was fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was also able to perform. He had to come to know the character of God, the power of God, that however hard the situation was, his computer began to know the God's power. And he had to meditate until he reached that point where he was fully persuaded. And the moment you become fully persuaded, you see, until you are, you're, you are at the threshold. You know the promise, but it looks impossible. It looks so hard. And your mind tells you, you can't, done. You can't do it. And you can't cross over into your promised land. But then you become fully persuaded that God can do it. And once you're fully persuaded... You step over the barrier into faith and you believe you receive that promise and you're strong in faith and you start giving glory to God like Abraham did. Once you know you have it, once you know God can do it, then you start thanking God that he's doing it. Praise God. And that's how you cross through the doubt into faith by considering the power of God and the faithfulness of God. Now, to... To, it's not just a matter of knowing his power, you've got to know his faithfulness. That if he promised, he will do it. Faith is the same word as faithfulness in the Greek and the Hebrew language. It means the same thing because you cannot have faith unless you know a person is faithful. And I want you to see what happened to Sarah. See, she didn't have so much an issue with the power of God, but with the faithfulness of God. She knew God could do it. But would he do it? Well, I want you to see what it says about Sarah in Hebrews 11.11. 11. It says, Through faith, Sarah also received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age. 
because, watch this, she judged him faithful who had promised. How did Sarah move from laughter to faith? She, made, she meditated on God's character. She made an evaluation. She judged him faithful who had promised. That means she decided to take to collect together all the evidence of God's faithfulness. Had he ever let her down in the past? How he'd been faithful to them in all their lives and to the other men of God. And she came to a conclusion and she made a judgment. She made a decision that God was faithful, that if God promised, he would do it. You see, to believe God, faith does not deny the problem. It doesn't pretend there isn't a problem, a difficulty, but faith does not stop with that natural problem, but it goes past that, and it considers God. It considers God's power and God's faithfulness, and if God said it, then he'll do it. And so faith steps across that threshold of natural doubt. Faith says, yes, it seems impossible, but God is greater, God is faithful, he'll do it. I want you to know that your natural evaluation is not wrong. It, when you look at a problem, you see it's impossible, that's all right. Doubts present to your mind, but you haven't sinned yet. You haven't let those doubts into your heart. Now, they will get into your heart unless you meditate on God's faithfulness and his power. And once you're convinced of that, you'll be able to step across the threshold and believe the promise. And that's what Sarah did. She received power to conceive, having judged him faithful who promised. You know, in Numbers chapter 13, we read about the spies who went into the promised land. There we have the promised land, God's promise to you. And first of all, the spies went out to check it out. And that's exactly what your mind does. Your mind sees the promises, and your mind sees the obstacles in the way of that promise coming to pass. Just like those spies came, they saw it was a wonderful land. You look at the Bible and it's a wonderful land of promises. And yet also, when you spy out the land, you see the giants and the walled cities that stand in your way. And so you make an evaluation. And the 12 spies came back with the same report to start with. They said, it's a wonderful land, but there are all this opposition. We're not strong enough to take this land. And everyone was agreed at that point. But two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, they show us how we are to protect our heart from unbelief and cross over that threshold into faith. Yes, they were all agreed. They could not do it on their own strength. They all agreed that. But what was different about Joshua and Caleb, it says they didn't just consider the natural, they considered God. They meditated on God's power and God's faithfulness. God had promised to give them that land. God had promised to go with them to give them the victory. And so Joshua and Caleb, they meditated on God's faithfulness, on his character, the one who stood behind his word. And therefore Joshua and Caleb said, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able through God to overcome it. You see, they evaluated. Their evaluation included God and God's ability and God's faithfulness. The other ten spies, they just considered the problem. And they came up with a conclusion that it was impossible. And this was called an evil report of unbelief. Why? Because they acted as if God, what didn't exist, like he wasn't in the picture. And God condemned that as sinful. And only Joshua and Caleb were able to go over into the promised land. The others were excluded. Because they let the doubt into their heart, they were never able to cross over the threshold and receive the promise. 
But Joshua and Caleb, they did because they believed God. I want you to, to tell you that if you're facing a difficult situation, a promise of God that seems impossible to take, what you've got to do is not just learn the promise inside out. You've got to meditate on the faithfulness of God, the power of God to do it, until you're fully persuaded that what God said he was, is able to perform it. And then you will cross over that threshold and you will believe the promise. Just like Joshua and Caleb. One last example for you. Look at David and Goliath, 1 Samuel 17. You see, Goliath was very impressive. Even David would have looked at Goliath and he would have thought, this guy's massive. He's terrifying. He would have made a natural evaluation. There's nothing wrong with that. But David didn't stop there. He also evaluated God and said, well, this guy's big, but God is much bigger. And then he, he told the story of how God had been faithful before. You see, what David did was very important. He remembered the faithfulness of God. And he would have known the faithfulness of God in Israel's history, how God was faithful and powerful to, to come through for them. And he told about how one time a lion attacked his sheep and God enabled him to kill that lion. And then a bear attacked the sheep, and God enabled him to kill that bear. And he said, if God was faithful to me, and if God's power was there for me to kill the lion and the bear, then I can also kill this Goliath too. What was he doing? He was meditating on the faithfulness of God, on the power of God. And by doing that, in his assessment of the situation, yes, Goliath was a big problem, but in his mind, God's power and faithfulness was even bigger. And that gave him the strength of faith to cross over the threshold and to believe that he could defeat Goliath. Well, you know what happened. Praise God. David ran. It was all over in round one. David ran out, slung the stone, and cut off Goliath's head. Praise God. And God was with him. How could he have that faith? Because he meditated on the faithfulness of God. And if you're faced with your Goliath, an impossible situation, what you need to do is remember what God has said to you. Remember what God has done for you in the past, how he's come through for you in the past. He helped you to kill that lion and that bear in the past. Won't he help you with this situation too? Remember his faithfulness. Consider all the testimonies of other believers that you know, how God was faithful to them. And, and think about all the, s the Bible stories of God's power and faithfulness, how he delivered Daniel in the lion's den and the, the, the fiery furnace and the exodus. And all these Bible stories are written for you that you would know the power and the faithfulness of God so that when you're in that situation, you will know that the God who is with you is well able to deliver you, is well able to help you, and you'll have the strength of faith to cross over the threshold of your natural unbelief and believe you receive his help and his power. Yes, knowing the faithfulness of God will enable you to believe you receive and then to continue to believe. As it says in Hebrews 10.23, let us hold fast the confession of our faith without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. <laughs>